Welcome to Roll Calling, a podcast about actors we love and the movies we love them in. I'm Caroline Sita, and I'm a proud member of Kappa Nu. I'm Ned Baker, and I think we should let the old people in. Uh, okay, I teased you off mic that I had a fact to reveal. Did you know that oh, yeah. Seth Rogen in the first Neighbors movie is our age? Whoa. 30, 31 or 32, thereabouts. Wow. This is the mystery of Seth Rogen is that he has He's looked like ageless. he is 35 since he was 24. <laughs> so in every, yes. it's like only now is he catching up to his age. Is he even now? Does he still just kind of look like a 35-year-old? He's like 40 now. He finally, I think, is age-appropriate. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) That just blew my mind watching this movie about, um, you know, old people, quote-unquote old people, (laughs) and realizing it's us, Ned. You know, I felt like our age group, not our generation, because they're not millennials, but like our current age group is kind of like being put on blast or being lovingly satirized by franchise yeah i guess that's what it's like to grow up well the way this <laughs> podcast works is that ned and i two old people take turns curating a five <laughs> film miniseries starring an actor we love and this right here is the third installment of our zach efron series and we are looking at his fratty turn in 2014's neighbors and 2016's neighbors 2 sorority rising but Ned, I wanted to start out because we've dubbed this our Zac Efron Oops All Musical series. And this, of mm-hmm. course, Neighbors is not a musical, although it does the second one does feature a dance number. It's got it's got some dancing moments. There's some pivotal dancing. You can't you can't have Zach and not have a little bit of dancing. No, he's like a Christopher Walken. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't think those two people have ever been compared before. But <laughs> oh, you know, Zach Efron, he's like a Christopher Walken. Watch Christopher Walken movies and see how often he shoehorns in some dancing. I'm telling wow, you. Oh wow, this is a glimpse into into Zach's future. What I wanted to ask off the top mm-hmm. is which high school musical musical number do you think Teddy Sanders would like best? And is it the boys are back from high school musical three? Oh. I mean, surely that would be the answer, right? I mean it's the about the broiest high school musical number it's, it's the broiest but it's also broy from like uh we just want to like be innocent and play yeah. and like like recapture that spirit you know i feel like he's a guy trying to throughout the neighbor cinematic universe recapture his like his sort of naive innocence and his mm-hmm. sense that like all was right in the world and that feels like the boys are back although maybe what's the one that goes soaring flying yeah the to the uh I don't know the title of that song. We're breaking free. Wow, that We're really free. really stabbed a knife through my heart. That it took me more than a <laughs> one second to remember that title. I don't know. I could see him just like I don't know vibing to that song. Yeah, or you know making it like a sort of like a bro anthem mm-hmm. out of that that one. I was also thinking "Scream," the breakdown number from High School Musical three mm-hmm. with the rotating hallway could be a bit of yeah. a Teddy Sanders lowest moment. Yes, yes, because he's he is in crisis at certain parts of this. He's like. He's grappling with the growing complexity of the world. Yeah, you keep trying to steer it to neighbors, which is the topic that we're on. And I just want to make you talk more about High School Musical 3. (laughs) Yes. Well, I think, look, I think already we've probably had some of the most, I think, four minutes and 50 seconds into our recording. This is the most analytical discussion of the character of Teddy Sanders that has ever happened 
in the critical media space. Wow. I don't know. I just don't, I don't get the impression that these discussions are, are being had about Teddy Sanders and his speculative emotional psychology, but um, that's what we're here to do. That's what we aim to bring. I'm actually really excited for this conversation because I agree okay. Neighbors is not a franchise you would expect to necessarily have a lot of like meaty discussions out of, mm-hmm. but I feel like there actually could be quite a lot of like psychoanalysis we could do mm-hmm. on Zach Efron in particular uh, through the lens of the Neighbors franchise. So if you will, before we get to that, I kind of wanted to like, we went through this a little bit last week, but I want to just kind of like talk through how Zach gets from High School Musical, Troy Bolton, Hairspray, Link Larkin, like his teen idol phase of his career into what I think is the next phase of his career, which I think you dubbed Frat Efron maybe in some of our mm-hmm. conversations. Yes. The, I think the path to get there is like, so so some of it is intentional. We talked about this last week, but that Zach decided not to do any more musicals after High School Musical and Hairspray. He was mm-hmm. maybe going to do this Footloose remake with Kenny Ortega, who directed the HSM franchise. But he kind of purposefully decides not to do that. And in a very, I found a very sweet quote where he said, the hardest part was saying no to Kenny because I adore him so much. Oh. I know, isn't that sweet? Uh, but uh, this is uh, all these quotes are from a, a Hollywood reporter profile that came out around Neighbors. This producer, Craig Zidane, who, who I think was going to do Footloose, said that Zach sort of, I don't know, realized he was at this pivot point in his career and went around and like spoke to actors he admired, including Tom Cruise, to sort of just get their perspective on where his you know, career should go. And he really made this choice that he wasn't going to do another musical for a while. And so then I think he enters this era where he is like really just trying to find his lane sort of through Mm -hmm. a a mixture of comedies and like rom-coms or romances, a little bit of dramatic work. So again, we mentioned that some of these last week, but movies like Me and Orson Welles, 17 again, which I think was actually another really big like hit for him. I really, I considered doing that for this series actually that's when he's a young version of matthew perry exactly another basketball star basketball star is it like 13 going on 30 is it like a magic thing happens and transforms him like big and reverse it's like big and reverse yeah because 13 going on 30 there's like a time travel element where she's going forward into her her adult life oh oh but sorry. In 17 again he re-enters his teenage body but like his kids his he's in high school with his kids and I think okay. like his daughter has a crush on him. It enters Freaky Friday oh. weirdness territory. <laughs> and then back he's, to the future. he's trying to seduce, you know, this was what our guest Zoe Maltby was talking about, this being a turning point where Zach Efron is trying to seduce Leslie Mann, who is, mm. you know, his his adult wife. <laughs> yes, great. <laughs> Maybe we'll Weird. have to do a 17 again bonus episode. He is also doing, you know, the title because he had to type it into Facebook so much, Charlie St. Cloud. <laughs> Yeah, listen to our Hairspray episode for that little piece of Ned uh, Arcana. Uh, New Year's Eve, the rom-com that we mentioned last week with Michelle Pfeiffer, uh, the lucky one, that Nicholas Sparks mm-hmm. movie, The Paperboy, um, other like random dramas that don't really launch, like some JFK assassination movie called Parkland that had a million famous people in it, and I had never heard of it before. Uh, I That's... know about Bobby, the... Bobby Kennedy assassination drama with a million oh. famous people in it, but this is not this is not that I no, guess. No, Zach plays Our the doctor plan. who is trying to save JFK's life. Oh, does he do it? 
<laughs> You'll just have to watch the movie to find out. <laughs> oh, that was really funny to me. So uh, the other thing that happens here in Zach's life is that he and Vanessa Hudgens break up in 2010. Oh, rip. So he's kind of said goodbye to the high school musical world in, in more ways than one. Mm. And this is sort of so he's I would say like he's having, you know, mixed success in various ways, mm-hmm. but not quite, you know, knowing exactly. He doesn't like finish High School Musical and then go straight into the next big thing that is like the new phase of his career. He has this, I don't know, a little bit of a lost period. And that coincides with him having sort of like alcohol and drug abuse problems and um, in 2013, he goes to rehab and kind of comes out right before he goes to film Neighbors, which he said was like very surreal to go, <laughs> to go, oh, you know, yeah. into rehab and then coming out into this like fake, you go to work every day and you're like at a frat party. Yes. Probably like at least 45 minutes of the screen time of that film, like actually happens at frat parties. Mm-hmm. That's probably... Uh, yeah, kind of triggering there. I suppose he must have been having some chats with his sponsors and being like, shit is weird, man. It is crazy being in this environment all the time. Yeah. And so, I mean, we'll, again, we'll dig into all of this, but I think, I think part of what helps him get through this is this like intense work ethic he has, which he actually Mm -hmm. said was like also sort of tied to, I don't know, this low point in his life where that he really like threw himself into work in a way that sort of isolated him, I think, from like friends and close family he knew before he was famous. Like, yeah. um, And again, I think just emphasizing the insanity of how famous he was, which I I do feel like is lost a little bit now to the culture, you know, the height Mm -hmm. that Zac Efron reached and how much pressure that was. And the man was, I mean, I think he went into rehab when he was 25 years old. Like, it's always wild to me when these people that get, these people that get famous so young, it's like they've lived so much life by the time that they are, you know, 30 years old. Like, he has lived more life than I have being, you know, older than him. So. Yeah, wow. So, yeah, then he kind of goes into Neighbors is his next big um, launching platform. There's a lot of publicity around this movie. He's going out and doing a lot of promotion with Seth Rogen. I think that this was kind of like a turning point for like, because of the rehab thing. And he, there was some weird scandal right before the movie came out where he had like gotten into a fight with somebody that, somebody, an unhoused person in downtown LA. And this Mm. became, I guess, a minor tabloid scandal of like, why was he there? Was he trying to buy drugs? What really happened? I don't know. A, a little bit of a, you know, lost to time thing, but all of the mm-hmm. profiles of this era are like, whoa, is this Zach's time to crash and burn or will he turn everything around? They were looking for him to have like a, like a Robert Downey Jr. like crazy public burnout phase. Yeah. Or turn it around. Like it feels, uh-huh. so the the Hollywood Reporter profile I keep mentioning says, One of the quotes in it, any reporter would be forgiven for expecting the worst, but as we sit for lunch at West Hollywood's Soho House, I'm surprised to find him thoughtful, gracious, and candid about the growing pains he has endured while navigating the shoals from teen celebrity to adult stardom. Hmm. Well, as long as you, the reporter, feel you could be forgiven (laughs) for expecting the worst, then I guess... So, you know, I if if this is a kind of a moment where Zach's fate is hanging in the in the in the balance, thankfully it goes in an upward direction. Like I think he has mm-hmm. really he has you know, he he kind of gets this zen attitude from here on out, I think. He gets really into health, you know, and fitness and travel, which 
one day before this series is done, I will figure out what the hell is happening with all of his million travel shows and <laughs> him like living in Australia and stuff. Yeah, this allusions to him like living in the woods. Although it's kind of crazy. Was he not into health and fitness before? Because I mean, look at him at every stage of his career. True. But he maybe I, got into like, I don't know, like eating healthy or so. I don't know. Maybe he was only drinking protein shakes and feeling sad. Well, I kind of feel like between Neighbors 1 and Neighbors 2, actually, you see, you do see a body transformation, even if both bodies are ripped. It's like a level up, I would say. Yeah. And I'll, I will mention I watched about two thirds of Baywatch also today, which is about as much of we it as I could it. stomach. <laughs> and his body is actually out of control there. Yeah. Wait, what was that Alexandra Daddario quote that I texted you about? It was about touching him on the like the waist or something. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so you texted me. You texted me, Googled Alexandra Daddario and found this quote. Quote, early on, I had to do a scene where I had to flirt with him and touch his waist. It was sort of like a, I wasn't prepared. It was like an animalistic shock went through me. I don't know. He's like not human. He's like something Michelangelo, Michelangelo carved. I've never seen a man that looks like him. It's incredible. Yeah, and there's also, what is the quote in the beginning of Neighbors where Seth Rogen says, like, he looks like something a gay man would create in a lab. <laughs> just a lot of, like, so just plenty of objectifying Zach's, like, body at this point. When he was in High School Musical, even if that was sort of, like, below the surface, you couldn't do it. But at this point, it's, like, officially, like, open season on just sort of commenting on the way his body looks. Well, I do think that this whole next phase of Zach's mm -hmm. career, the frat Efron phase, is really a complete response and reaction to his early career. And I do think mm -hmm. one of those elements, as you're saying, is the sort of we are satirically or knowingly just addressing <laughs> the mm -hmm. subtext that was always there. Like now we are making the fact that he's very hot the source of humor. Yes. Very openly. And this was the big revelation that I had, is that mm -hmm. I think Zac Efron's entire early career is defined by being a cornerstone of girl culture, as we have discussed many mm -hmm. times through the High School Musical franchise. And it feels like in reaction to that, then he launches into a multi-year targeted attack to make himself a center of bro culture. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes, he is. He is redefining himself as a bro icon. Yeah. Definitely. And I don't know how much of that is him doing that purposefully or, you know, him not realizing that's his motivation or just, you know, the thing where, oh, this worked out well once, so then I get slotted into doing this. But I feel like mm -hmm. there could be a psychological profile of you were loved by teen and tween and, you know, little girls and you were hated by men. And now your entire next phase of your career is about like ingratiating yourself to men and really earning their respect as a comedy star. And, you know, all these movies. So we've got the two neighbors movies. Mm -hmm. We've got Baywatch, which, as I mentioned, I watched about two thirds of. And I'm also going to throw in Dirty Grandpa, which I watched several years ago. And which could not can bring I say? myself to rewatch. Yeah, what? I just learned is not the movie Jackass Presents Bad Grandpa. <laughs> you were thinking it was the Johnny Knoxville one the whole time. I knew that there was a movie, a sort of hidden camera movie where somebody dressed up as an old man and did pranks. And I think mm -hmm. I just, I mean, I can't say I had really thought about it, you know, intensely, but I had kind of guessed, I always assumed that like Zac Efron was running around with somebody dressed as an old man and like doing pranks on people. Actually, no. it is just a pretty standard looking looking studio comedy in which Robert De Niro is like 
a dirty old man and Zac Efron is his grandson. Yes. Did you watch, you didn't watch that film for this podcast, did you? I did watch Baywatch though. Did you watch that Red Van trailer I sent you? I did watch the trailer. Then you get the like (laughs) intense, intense, like, like break the meter levels of like sexist homophobic comedy that go into that. Can I still say, though, I would rather yeah. watch the Dirty Grandpa trailer a hundred times than ever sit through the movie Baywatch again, because I also Baywatch. watched that movie and found it to be, like, just egregiously unwatchable. It is such a race to the bottom there. I feel like Baywatch is maybe more astoundingly, uh, it's, like, really incompetently made. Like, even, you're just, like, at every moment, you're like, I am not even sure what is going on. We've just launched from one bit to another the plot is like a piece of fucking dental floss holding mm-hmm. this movie mm-hmm. together to get you from like essentially like horrible offensive sexist goofs from one to the other i don't know but caroline dirty grandpa is like <laughs> it's literally one of the most odious movies i've ever seen it, this is this is a true race to the bottom if i could pay to have these movies locked away in a vault so that no one ever saw them again I would fork over a serious sum of money to do that public good. Yeah. If I had the if I had the, the last reel, I would I would pitch it into the abyss. These are odious, odious films. It at least looked like Dirty Grandpa knew it like had a central hook. Baywatch is trying to be twelve different things at once and none of them are good, but it is so confusing yeah. to go from self-aware comedy to action movie to raunchy bro humor to like sometimes serious drama where they're trying to sell mm-hmm. me on the arc of the bad boy Brody that Zac Efron's playing. It was really yeah, un- an unhinged hell. film. Yeah. These movies suck ass. What they do have in common with neighbors. Can I throw a couple um, other into the mix before you make please, your point yeah. too? So he also does, I actually haven't seen this one, but it is high on my list. That awkward moment which is a rom-com, but it's like a rom-com for bros. It's Zach, Miles Teller, and Michael B. Jordan. Mm. And Zach executive produced that one. So I think that could even be seen as a little bit of a him sort of launching himself into this bro territory. What What is that awkward moment? Like the awkward moment when you realize you love somebody? Yeah, or that you – I think okay. the the idea is like we only hook up with girls. We don't date them. And so maybe it's like the awkward moment when you actually want to date someone. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Jokes in the trailer included, like, Zach sleeps with a girl on their first date. And she's like, oops, I wasn't going to do that so soon. I was going to wait, make you wait 40 days. And he says, I wasn't going to do that so soon. But then I remembered, I'm a guy. <laughs> Is that a joke? <laughs> was it? Guys like to have sex. That seems to be the premise of the film. Mm. The other one I want to throw in that I that I did watch along with Baywatch is Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates mm-hmm. with Adam Devine yeah. and um, Anna Kendrick and Aubrey Plaza, also star uh-huh. of Dirty Grandpa. Yes. Another sort of like a, a Wedding Crashers update. Not great, far superior to Baywatch. And I would kind okay. of guess far superior to Dirty Grandpa as well. Yeah, it would have to be. Although Aubrey Plaza is the highlight of Dirty Grandpa. She basically did it because... There's this character and it's like, yeah, she just flirts with Robert De Niro the whole time and then has like a comic sex scene with him at the end. And she's great. Every other part of that movie needs to be burned and thrown into the trash. God, it's, it's, I mean, there's just all these movies just like, it's just lots of like, if you just sub in Robert De Niro for The Rock for all the scenes where he's like, you're going to, you're going to fucking get your mangina ripped in half if you go out there like pretty boy. Okay. So all through Baywatch in the first 
10 minutes, The Rock calls him in sync, and then he calls him One Direction. There was the fact that the that the writers of Baywatch had two different characters say fresh out of fucks and not one fuck was given at like different situations. It's just like like there's only one voice that the whole movie is written in. But what these what these movies I feel like have in common, and they have in common with neighbors, and I will say they also have in common with the one scene of Greatest Showman I've ever seen, is that like <laughs> all of these movies like include one part where a sort of like Gen X age guy gets to like take a dump on Zac Efron for being mm-hmm. so handsome and pretty. Yeah. Um, I guess I'm picturing like Seth Rogen and The Rock. Uh, Robert De Niro was not Gen X, but there is this whole <laughs> part of this thing where comedy is like some guy who is like offended by Zach's like pretty boyness mm-hmm. gets to call him One Direction or In Sync. Or and in the most meta moment, he calls him High School Musical. I don't know if you remember yes. that, but he's like, calls "Hey, High, High School, School Musical. Musical." I did get there. They thought yes. they were so clever. So yeah, this whole like part of I think his establishing himself as being like a legitimate player in this like frat comedy movie is including mm-hmm. a scene where a man gets to be like, "I hate your stupid pretty boy ass, yeah. and I'm going to break you in half." Do you know what this reminds me of? When we did our Edge of Tomorrow episode and we talked about how that whole movie is about Tom Cruise winning the public back by playing a cowardly mm-hmm. asshole who gets killed a million times. And then by the end of the movie, you can't help but root for him. And maybe Zach is on a similar path of knowing that I need to be like, I think that's an excellent point, Ned, that he's like he's aware on some level that he needs to be taken down in order for people to like him again. And he mm-hmm. is putting himself in that situation. Not that he does need to be taken down because as we agree, like the adult men who created the I Hate Zac Efron Club while he was in High School Musical, like they have to look within to this for the root of their problems. But yes, like that is the perception that like the pretty boy has to like stand himself up to like get egged in order to like demonstrate that he doesn't take himself seriously. Mm -hmm. Maybe when he went around and asked all those celebrities for advice on what to do. And he talked to Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is like, here's my thing, dog. I would not be surprised. I also think we should acknowledge that Mm. I do think Zach is a bit of a bro IRL, Mm. which is always so, I don't know. Personally, I don't know many a bro in real life. So there is an element of the way men speak that sometimes just feels so funny to me. Um, Zoe Mumpy mentioned this on, on, on our High School Musical episode, uh, but Zach's Hot Ones episode, um, YouTube series Hot Ones, is just like yeah. a treasure trove of getting little glimpses of his personality and Ooh. telling stories about having brunch with Leonardo DiCaprio, sort of at the height of the High School Musical fame and trying to get Leo's advice on how to be a star. And he ends the story, you know, he says whatever Leo's advice was, and he ends the story by being like, rock on, Leo. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> rad radical dude yeah zach efron will very earnestly just say like yeah man it was rad like yeah bro it was awesome you know like that is how he speaks mm-hmm. and so maybe there is an element of he's he's making fun of his persona but perhaps he is also unleashing another side of his persona yeah that he is as much as he is troy bolton i firmly believe there is troy bolton inside of him like he is also a chad danforth and he needs to sort of <laughs> bring these personas together into his side you are two personas. of the boys <laughs> can i also sidebar to say 
Corbin Blue is killing it on this season of High School Musical, the musical, the series, in mm-hmm. which he is playing himself. Plays Corbin Blue. Yes, he's playing Corbin Blue, but a very heightened, like, talk about taking the piss out of yourself. Like, he is making fun of this imagined egotistical mm-hmm. Corbin Blue persona. Yeah, and there's one time when fun. the kids are, they're kind of talking like, oh, you know, we should go say hi to him. And they say, yeah, but he's the Chad Danforth. And Corbin's just like, yeah, did I hear my name? And they say, oh, you answered a Chad? And he just goes, well, you know, the characters never really leave us. <laughs> He's very funny. Uh, He's very charming. Sweet Chad. Sweet Chad. So I think that there is a bit of Chad to Efron. And I think that he is unleashing that. And I actually think that, I mean, I, we haven't really gotten to to your take on Neighbors yet. I quite enjoy both of these movies. And I think a lot of what I really enjoy about them is what Zach helped bring to them, which mm-hmm. is that Seth Rogen has really credited Zach as being the one who was sort of when they were developing this screenplay, he got attached. Zach and Efren were both attached before there was a screenplay. So a lot of it was kind of developed around them. And Zach was the one who said that his character shouldn't just be a villain. Like he should also have some humanity and, uh, Rogan says, one thing he was vocal about, which was very smart, was making a movie that wasn't just critical of fraternity life. Rogan says, most of us were nerdy comedy writer guys, and he's not. So it was very helpful to have the voice of the other group. It was a defining moment for the movie. And that Zach really put, he wanted, Zach wanted Neighbors to be a movie that made fun of frat guys, but also that frat guys would go see and like find really enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. that's super key to why I think the Neighbors franchise to me is like the top of all of his sort of fratty work. It actually works much better that way and is much more watchable now because of some of that positive modeling, I guess you could almost say that goes on in there. Yeah, of the movies we talked about, it's the one that actually, it may seem to define frat Efron because it's literally a frat, but it is so much less representative of just like general unleashed toxic masculinity in the sort of like studio comedy 2010s thing, which just like pop on 10 minutes of Baywatch or Dirty Grandpa and you will see like, (laughs) honestly, like to me, like the nadir of big budget filmmaking, like it doesn't get any fucking lower than having a big budget and using it to tell no story at all while you advance a bunch of horrible punch downy jokes and like, you know, zoom in on a bunch of girls' butts. You know, that's that's just so fucking worthless. But Neighbors, I would not say, is guilty of exactly mm-hmm. that charge. Did you like these movies? Because you had never seen them before, right? Yes, I liked them overall. I would say I was pleasantly surprised by the heart of them. Yeah. Both like the sort of, I don't know, positive sensitivity and frat psychology that they are exploring with those characters, as well as the, I think, sort of tender look at young parenting in the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just being like a 30-something, know-nothing, clueless parent. Yeah. And, and the second one, when Seth Rogen says... <laughs> they're, he and Roseburn are like, or their characters are listing off the worst like parenting mistakes they've made, like admitting these yeah. things. And he says that... He forgot that he had a daughter and just went to Taco Bell and left her at home. I I can't even describe it. I'm laughing so hard. I found that so funny. So there's a lot of there's a lot of heart to these movies. And there also is, I think, you've got a absolutely solid, if completely run of the mill, Seth Rogen performance. 
I remember, I feel like people used to always accuse Jack Black of always playing the same character. Mm. Now, Seth Rogen, there is a guy who literally is playing the exact same character in every single movie of his. But you've got that. But you've got a really funny Zac Efron performance, I think. Like, probably the funniest of the movies we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. And a really, really good Rose Byrne Mm -hmm. comic performance that I just think is so, so sweet and so funny. Outside of that, I would say these movies didn't really like stick to me in a huge way because they are, they are 2010 studio comedies and they have that kind of like generic gloss to them where like you wouldn't really say there are any interesting shots. You wouldn't really say it's like a particularly like brave or groundbreaking movie. And it just has those sequences where it's like, yeah, we put the cameras here. We let the improv actors like do their bit. Yeah. We, Cut it down sharp and snappy, and we sent it off to the to print. You know, and probably so, could have cut it down a little further, but did not. Sure, I could point to one or two sequences where I'm like, okay, let's let's rein it in here, folks. But so they just are that genre of film. It's like I don't know. It's like you know the equivalent of the MCU, but for just like cranking out like <laughs> haha comedies. Yeah, in that sense, they like were unremarkable, and I don't feel the need to revisit them in any soon to come era although we'll see maybe you'll like maybe you'll blow my mind with something about them today but but i did think the heart of them was good and i really like two of those performances quite a lot yeah we're not totally dissimilar i think that Mm -hmm. this sort of raunchy comedy in the apatow vein like i think judd apatow is the one who really you know, popularized this in the early 2000s and then just inspired. He's like the John Favreau of yeah. <laughs> sets the tone and then it becomes the playbook. Yeah. Oh, that's the one that's um in Knocked Up. Seth Rogen was 24 when he made Knocked Up. Wow. Which is crazy because the mo- you remember it's that crazy. movie as being like a 30 year old man who won't grow up and like help a woman have a baby. But actually, yeah. it's just because he looks so much older than he is. The premise is actually it's quite young to have a I think he's like 23. The character is 23. The premise is that he's quite young, you know, relatively young to have a child. But it's just Seth Rogen just reads so much older than he is. Fascinating. Yeah, I would have said him as just 30 for every single forever. He's just permanently 35. Yeah. Weird. Um, I had a big the, the I had not seen Neighbors until I think it was like 2020, that f- the first pandemic year. Mm-hmm. Um, be- actually, because I was writing about the movie Long Shot, the Seth Rogen, Charlize Theron mm. movie Long Shot, which I adore and actually yeah. made me do a complete 180 on who I thought Seth Rogen was and what his skills are and like. Writing about that movie then inspired me to sort of look at the arc of Seth Rogen's career and realize, actually, I love him. (laughs) And I think he that warm heartedness that you're describing about Neighbors, I actually think is a cornerstone of Seth's work and has especially continued to be as he's gotten older. Like, I think his 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 later work and some of his uh, appearances in his wife's films, like, is just so lovely and heartfelt and long shot, especially is just so like such a wonderful movie to me can you tell me which films are his wife's films yeah let me pull up her name so i'm not just calling her (laughs) seth rogan's wife seth rogan's wife yeah okay so her name is lauren miller and it was this particular movie it's just a little netflix movie that i only saw because i was assigned to review it but i think it's quite good it's called like father and it's Kristen bell gets dumped on her wedding and goes on a cruise with her 
she takes her like honeymoon cruise with her estranged father played by Kelsey Grammer. Oh, that's a good premise. Yeah. And she's kind of like a workaholic type A person. And Kelsey Grammer is this sort of irresponsible guy. And it's them coming to terms with one another and sort of an ensemble comedy. And Seth Rogen is just a minor part in it. But there was something about how he was portrayed as a romantic lead that like was I had never seen him that way. Like credit to his wife for sort of <laughs> figuring mm-hmm. out exactly how to hone in on like what is attractive and appealing about Seth Rogen. Well, if anyone was going to do it. Right? I know. Shout out to Lauren Miller. And then I think that he uses that really well in Longshot. And I think you see the early sides of that in Neighbors, like the really nice dynamic that he has with Rose Byrne in the movie mm-hmm. and the heart you're talking about. Like, I think that's all really there. And I actually think it's all really amplified in Neighbors too, which was the big revelation for me. Because I kind of like liked Neighbors when I first saw it. I wouldn't have said I was blown away by it. But I thought Neighbors 2 is so good, <laughs> like a rare sequel that surpasses the original. I feel like they took what worked about the first one and just made that all of the second one, right? Like if the first (laughs) one has moments that work and moments that don't, I think the second one is much more confident in that sort of heart that it wants to bring. And like, I mean, not an amazing movie, you know, like you're saying a pretty basic 2010 studio comedy, but within those parameters, I just found it like very funny and delightful. And so I'm really glad that the series sort of, gave us a chance to check out that one in particular. Mm-hmm. And I think we should just also, yeah, I guess I've, I've sort of said this already, but it is Zach work that is worth discussing. If you're doing a retrospective of Zach, which is exactly what we're doing, <laughs> um, I think it's a really great pick for that because we are getting a side of his comedy chops that really, really works. I think mm-hmm. he's doing some really funny shit in these movies. Yeah, the the set the general setup is that you've got a nice little uh new I guess married couple, newly parent newly parents, new parents. <laughs> that's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> you have Seth go. Rogen and Rose Byrne as new parents. Uh oh, a frat it frat moves in next door. They don't want the frat to be loud. And so they're going to have essentially like an ongoing prank war with them. And then mm-hmm. Neighbors 2 mo- mostly repeats the beats of this first movie, but sort of rearranges the premise a bit in that Seth Rogen and Rose Byrne are now trying to sell their house. And they a sorority that wants to party moves in next door. And so they have to make sure the sorority doesn't make you know the house seem unappealing before the buyers get everything settled. And Zach is sort of floating as first helping the sorority and then helping yeah. the old people. <laughs> Yeah, he's like the he's like fistful of dollars in, in between the two sides yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. And I do think Neighbors 2, I mean, it makes the point heavy handedly, but it does. I think it's a point worth making heavy handedly that in, on college campuses, frat fraternities are allowed to throw parties in their house and sororities are not allowed to, which is actually insane. Yes. It's funny because the, yeah, the movie actually takes a moment where it's it's Selena Gomez, yeah. right? Is the like the president of the sort of unnamed first frat that you don't want to join? And she goes, "It's true, actually." Google it, and then everybody like takes out their phones. But it's definitely like a moment where she kind of also addresses the audience yes. and says, "Like, yes, this is actually true. Google it." Yeah. And most people watching are gonna be like, "Wait, what?" Except yeah. I remember that because I was in a fraternity and had you know many friends, and then eventually dated someone who was in a sorority, and uh, yeah, I knew about all of that whackness yeah. the whackness just goes it goes deep it's there's it's a whole there's a whole like vortex of whackness i mean it is clearly just 
it is a thing that only exists to have men in the fraternities have all the power for how the party is thrown and who gets into the party and what the dynamics of the party are like. And to take away the chance for women to have any control over what a college party environment is like. Like, it is actually so egregious. Yes, and a lot of a lot of egregiousness is allowed to stand in Greek life to this day. I had yeah. a moment. I have a series of notes at the beginning of Neighbors Two: Sorority Rising, where I said sorority rush is really weird as hell and so yeah. intense. And then I said, "No, Greek life is insane." And then I said, "No, college is insane," <laughs> which that movie like does a good job of hitting all those. But yeah, really, like it's it's wacky. We could just go and go and go. Yeah. Well, we obviously need to get into the fact that you are. I mean, you are a frat bro, Dad. There's no way. There's no way around it. I yeah, don't know if this I'm a is frat, a, a revelation to our listeners. I truly think I only went to two frat parties in college, and one of them was at your frat house. So I don't know if we knew each other then, but that I was there. That was my like one frat party experience. What was the What was the theme? Was there a theme? I don't the, remember the there party? being a theme. There was one that was funny because the social network came out, and at the beginning of. The social network, he's at an AEPI party at mm, Harvard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like the island party or something. Yeah. And then we had an island party that had like a social network style poster that said, you don't get to 500 million friends without first throwing the island party. Very which I good. Was a funny, Very funny good. Tagline. I just all of a sudden had a flashback memory to the fact that I went to sororities would could sort of throw events. Mm-hmm. at, I don't know. They would be like bus to a bar somewhere. And oh, yeah. It was just like an event at another establishment. And one of those mm-hmm. was jungle themed, which, mm-hmm. you know, brought out a, a lot of like sexy, sexy cat or whatever outfits. Mm-hmm. And I, <laughs> I dressed as a tree. <laughs> <laughs> What's the jungle wore, made of? Trees, wore, baby. I wore a, a, a green sweater. And a brown skirt, and I took just like a, a, some some a stick with some leaves on it, and like put that in my hair, and decided to be a tree. Nice. <laughs> so that kind of yeah. sums up my uh, very tangential experience with Greek life. But you were in it. Yeah, I was in it. I want to shout out that former podcast guest Walls Trimble from our Fish Called Wanda mm-hmm. episode was my pledge wife. <gasps> wow. And we had pledge children too, which is not you just. It's just a. Everything it's you're saying a, sounds so strange to me. It is. It is. It's weird. It's all weird. What would you have questions? Can I tell you anything about friends? Yeah, well, do you feel like neighbors is in its heightened way at all an accurate reflection of what the frat experience is like? I imagine so. Not necessarily my frat experience. You had the chill. You were the chill frat. Yeah. So our nickname was Nice Jewish Boys. It was yeah. a Jewish frat. And we were, I'd say, at least allowed to be on the mild and nerdy side. You know, like there were sure. parties and the Parties were the parties could get semi lit. I mean, actually, none of not a single party we ever had looked anything like the parties in this movie. Yeah. There was no production value. There was no like gigantic oil drums filled with weed. Uh, it was standing in poorly lit hallways and like holding. That's a right. Red it was cup. standing in poorly lit hallways holding red cups. Um, but also there was like you know I didn't go often enough to chapter. Which, because I just was trying to juggle like theater and frats and all these things, but a real Troy Bolton dilemma. I did. I have. A, I had a Troy Bolton dilemma. You just like talk about your week and stuff. And there were some. There were some very sweet nerdy guys in there. We had some catered events from PETA in. Yeah, I, my, my frat experience was not very fratty. I also didn't even really go to other frat parties. Maybe mm-hmm. once I went to another one, but I had this sense that if you went to Pike or Sig Ep? Gosh, I can't even remember them now. 
um, you could have something more of a, an intense experience. Although even this is through the lens of we were at Northwestern, you know, we were yeah, already we were not at the like, biggest party school. We were at the, the, the like I was at one of the quieter, nerdier frats at one of the quieter, nerdier yeah. schools. I'm sure that if you went to a frat party at you know University of Michigan, where a lot of my high school friends went, like they were real intense fairs. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of sweetness in my frat. There's also like no doubt, like the the world of it is filled with you know. I mean, just like read any one of those like long form articles. Like I read articles about like people dying in hazing scandals that like really like fucked me up for life and been like you know it came down to a binary like yes no should this system exist like Mm -hmm. i i dk but it's hard for me to say with it having existed that i regret like meeting the people that i met through it you know i had some i made some good friends through that there's some really nice guys in that i I kind of blow off their fundraising emails now (laughs) well i think part of the appeal of the neighbors franchise is that it does see both sides. It sees the sort of mm-hmm. toxic excess, but it also understands the genuine friendships and community that can come out of a frat or sorority. And I think that that is what sort of makes the movie like there is a version of this movie, maybe the version if it was someone other than Efron starring in it who who pushed for that humanity, but there is a version where it's more either the frat guys are just villains and Seth's the good guy, or maybe a version where the frat guys are just the good guys, you know, and there's these evil people trying to shut them down. And I think the movie Toe is a nice line. There's a movie called uh, Animal House. No, not Animal House. American Pie presents Beta House. There is a movie Mm. called Animal House, which is even more like, Animal House I haven't watched in a long time. I'm sure that, I mean, it's extremely male gazy and there's lots of like haha boobs moments, but it's also like, that's got this sort of like uh, absurdist, yeah, anarchist streak to it that's fun but there's american pie presents beta house for me it would be just the like that's just like pure like sexist male gaze frat comedy and mm-hmm. i watched that in college and yeah this this wasn't that no there are these really great moments of subversion where you mm-hmm. are expecting the comedy to go one way and it goes a completely different way i would say the biggest one of those being when the the old couple next door trying to get the fraternity brothers shut down in a hazing scandal and are sort of mm-hmm. trying to ramp up this hazing situation. And Zach's Teddy Sanders instead pulls the pledge who's yelled at him into another room and is like, are you okay? Like, you're, you're doing so well. Like, I'm sorry we took the hazing too far. Like, why don't you go chill out in my room and relax and you're doing an amazing job. And the joke is, oh my God, he's actually like sincerely a nice guy underneath this fraternity bro energy. That is a really funny scene. And uh, yeah, it's all done. They're like watching the whole thing through little camera glasses. And his just being like, draw yourself a bath. Relax, mm-hmm. man. Just like so, so encouraging. And then and then they he finds out that they're watching them. And he looks in the mirror and says, you guys crossed the fucking line. You're dead. It's <laughs> really fun. He is very funny. Like he is quite good at playing the villainous side of Teddy, I think. Like, mm-hmm. I think that that's impressive. Like, that, right? That's not something we've seen Zach play in the other movies we've seen. Yeah. But it is the it is the sweetness that comes with it that makes both sides of it funnier, I think. Yeah. And that feels like signature Efron. Yeah. And what I yeah. like about Neighbors 2 is that it mostly drops the, like, villainy side of it. But but mm-hmm. it keeps his his sort of nefarious skill set, but just leans into him being more of a himbo. 
mm-hmm. in a way that is he's, very funny. He's such a himbo in Neighbors 2. There's, I, I can't just say which of these two is my favorite moment, but there's there's a really great moment where he like discovers sexism because yeah. he's like, well, wait, come party at Fred's. And when he's talking to these girls who are like trying to rectify the situation and they're like, those parties are all sexist. Like, what were your themes? And he's like, you know, pimps and hoes, CEOs and corporate hoes. Oh, oh, oh no. Oh, God. oh no. Oh, geez. And it's just like this moment of him, like discovering, like becoming self-aware of sexism is like, so, so funny to me. And such a great, like, Teddy Sanders moment. Yeah. And Neighbors 2 is operating on this sort of, like Neighbors 1 is sort of two parallel coming of age stories, which is the the couple with the new baby sort of learning to be parents and the senior frat bro sort of reckoning with the idea that he's going to have to leave college and become an adult. Mm -hmm. But then I think Neighbors 2 is operating on these three levels of... (laughs) coming of age mm-hmm. stories where you have the you know the couple still grappling with being parents and they're gonna have a second kid and you have these really sweet but very naive freshman girls who are just trying to figure out how to function even as you know as the college version of being an adult mm-hmm. one of my favorite jokes is that they don't know anything about money so teddy just has to measure money in buckets like the buckets <laughs> you would collect you know a we five dollar two more buckets fee. of yeah. money before yeah, we can cover like, rent they're like yeah. we'll give you we'll give you five buckets for this i found that so funny but then you yes. also i think the smartest part of neighbors too is that you have teddy reckoning with how does a frat bro whose entire life is defined around his fraternity become an adult you know like what mm-hmm. does that look like and i think that that is actually quite an original comedy premise yes for all of his friends are succeeding in various ways and he's doesn't understand why everyone that works at retail is so much younger than him all of a sudden. <laughs> and like, he can only do math if it's in relation to weed. Like, he, yes. he just, there's all, there's these great jokes about him fully sort of being an adult, but then at some point he just becomes Seth Rogen and Rose Burns like child for a couple scenes. So the funniest, probably the hardest I laughed at is just the bit where Seth Rogen like teaches him about like how to hard boil eggs and he's boiling water and he sticks his hand in it and he's like, I told you that was hot. He goes, I thought it was like jacuzzi hot. And then he says, don't put the eggs in there. It's going to melt them. And he goes, what are you talking about? It's just, no, it's not going to melt them. It's going to hard boil. It makes them hard. And Seth says, why would it make eggs hard? Seth Rogen says, what do you mean? Why wouldn't it make eggs hard? He goes, but it makes pasta soft. And that to me is when I think I just laughed the hardest at that. That it was so funny. It was so fun. That scene is so good. It's a it's big um Joey Tribbiani and late season friends energy where they just oh, made gonna, just Joey they make Joey just it's implausible that he's alive, but I think <laughs> I think Matt LeBlanc plays it beautifully and I yeah. think Zach Efron captures that energy really well. And I he just I found really the second well. one. I found Neighbors 2 like I was laughing out loud at Neighbors 2 far more than I was at Neighbors mm-hmm. 1, I think. Yeah. And that scene especially it was really funny. Oh, there's a bit when <laughs> So early on when he's at the sort of like poker night with his bros and there's this sort This of was the scene where proposal. I was like I am going to love this movie. Was it the scene where he's in the poker night or when he says, like, I have to go? And he's like, I'm going to go for a run. And they're like, but you're not even wearing shoes. And he just takes off running from the place. And then, like, you get this, like, really quick, like, him running in slow motion and crying as he plays all by myself. Yeah, I, I, 
I lost at that. And he runs back. He runs barefoot back to the, the fraternity house just like out of instinct and then like lives there with his like legs injured for a little bit. It's kind of implied <laughs> in a later scene. And, and then when Feldstein he like calls him a beautiful centaur, exactly. <laughs> she's like a beautiful centaur is sitting pensively in our living room. Yes. Yes. And when, and when they say like, he gets to talking to them and realizes that like, he could, he could help them understand a little bit about running a Greek life house. Mm-hmm. And he says, would that, would that be of value to you? And you see the little like light bulb go on and you sort of realize what his plot is going to be in the movie is just trying to find a way to be a value, but as Which a sort of man child. such a sweet arc to give someone. It, that his, it is. His drive in life, having lost his purpose to be a fraternity bro, is to like find a way to be valuable to people is mm-hmm. quite heartbreaking. No, the scene that completely sold me on Neighbors 2 starts with the poker scene you're talking about, which is all the frat bros from the first movie sort of reconnecting and Mm -hmm. very unexpectedly becomes uh dave franco who's who's zach efron's best friend in the movie getting proposed to by his boyfriend and the first movie hasn't set up that dave franco's gay so this is like new information and you know you would think frat comedy having a gay proposal would just turn this into a very like homophobic or gay panic moment but like the humor Mm -hmm. comes from the fact that it doesn't do that right it's like a very meta joke and that you keep waiting for the punchline to come where they're grossed out by this but actually it is just a poker night where three friends have so sweetly been involved in their friend's proposal yeah you know like and it's not even like they helped their friend plan his proposal they yeah they helped the fiance plan the proposal they're on Mm -hmm. the ukulele singing the jason Mraz song which is so (laughs) sweet and earnest and then it's just a beautiful like sweet proposal scene yeah i was so delighted by that and i feel like that really captures the energy that drives all of neighbors too yeah yeah you have it all right there that like it's gonna swerve away from the classic sexist homophobic or racist like predictable joke in a in a way in which the directors of dirty grandpa or baywatch said let sure. me drive headfirst into that joke um it's going to swerve away from those even though it's about like an antagonistic prank war you sort of understand that like everybody in there is trying to like do right and be mm-hmm. kind they just are like fallible and weak and have like petty impulses and that's what pits them against each other but it's not really like i mean just in the sense like an older version of this movie, like Animal House, is like eventually the Animal House, like they beat the, they beat the douchey frat bros, and like you know blow up their house and you know pie them in the face and that kind of thing. And this is really like a little more of you know everybody here. We want to see everybody succeed. We just have to find a way for them all to get what they want together. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the both movies hit on nuances of college life that I think are somewhat underexplored. Like the college experience is so much less explored in movies than the high school experience. Mm -hmm. And obviously like a lot more people go to high school than go to college, but I still have always been surprised that there aren't just more like college set movies and TV shows. But -hmm. I think that the two movies taken together, like I think neighbors does a really good job of capturing that moment where you're are a college senior, you know, spring semester, you're right on the cusp, the cusp of being like a real adult and the stress of that and how Dave Franco is going into, you know, successfully <laughs> launching into adulthood and, and Zach Efron's character hasn't even thought about it. And then I think mm-hmm. neighbors two does a really great job of capturing that moment fall you know, fall semester, freshman year, where you're still feeling half like a high schooler. And these sweet little girls have like, 
you know, they want, they don't have a, it's just so scary to be in college without a community and they want to have a cool, you know, fun sorority environment where they can just hang out and throw the parties they want to throw and feel safe and supported. And they don't quite know what they're doing. And I think there's a lot of good hearted jokes about how little they know about anything. Mm-hmm. And I think that those are just nuanced observations about those like two sides of college life. I love that scene in Neighbors 2. It's not really a thread that the movie leans into too much, but it's when the three of them like smoke weed in a dorm early mm-hmm. on. Like the movie goes to a little bit more larger than life comedy, but that one is like, that scene is a really like nice paced, slow, kind of grounded with the exception of like the unhinged RA who comes in, which is, a, I think, a funny little goof. But like, but a look at those kind of conversations where you're just like figuring out you're on your own for the first time. I just remember that moment in my life so vividly that like, here I am, I'm living in a dorm. I'm living in this community of all like young people. I'm on my own without my parents for the first time. The like the moment when Beanie says college is about new experiences and here I am, I'm going to do weed. Um <laughs> And then I go, I think a little bit longer, a little bit later, she says, I think this is my thing now, which is like, that to me is such a perfect, Mm -hmm. like freshman college line. Like that fall of freshman year for me was filled with like 13 moments where I was like, I think this is my thing now. Mm -hmm. I like when Kiersey Clemens says she's been in a like, you know, relationship since she was like in third grade. And BD mm-hmm. Feltz, like, like Corey and Topanga. And then they all freak out about how it's like Corey and Topanga, which is such a specific reference to me. Yeah. And I just really liked that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I just think that these, the second one especially was just such a delightful surprise to me. Like, I think the first one got a lot of praise and like rightly so for having Rose Byrne be in on the fun of it all and you know the movie calls Mm -hmm. it out that she's not the nagging wife who's like oh my husband's in a prank war i have to you know hold him back from that and then i think yeah i i I do find it a little disappointing that she gets a little more sidelined in number two Mm. i feel like i feel like if we were doing a rose burn podcast we wouldn't be looking at number two so much yeah i think that's fair number two just has quite a lot of characters to try to serve True. Because it's bringing back so many people and then it's doing the the sorority girls and it's only 90 minutes, which I was wondering yeah. if it was supposed to be longer and stuff got cut out. It kind of had that feeling mm-hmm. to me. You yeah. maybe lose a little bit of the Roseburn, but I like what you get in, in introducing the sorority girls and that perspective and the idea of just normal girls who want to go to a party that is like a comfy oh party, girls. you know, yeah. <laughs> like a, a comfy, safe party is like not something you always see in movies so i like that element of it all like i don't know if i would go so far as to say you know these films are feminist masterpieces or anything but i think that they are more thoughtful about that kind of stuff than you know these other movies we keep citing the baywatches and the mike and dave and the yeah dirty and or bad grandpa i can't remember which one it is dirty grandpa and i'm sure bad grandpa is not much better either (laughs) there are some edgy jokes in these movies that i think don't work at all but mm-hmm. that that first one both times i've seen it and this is i don't know i'm going to quote an edgy joke from this movie so be prepared but when they're sort of when seth and rose are brainstorming how to take the 
the frat down to Ike Barinholtz and they say, what's the number one thing that takes frats down? And he is caught up in the moment and just very excitedly goes, rape! And then immediately <laughs> is like, oh, no, no, no. And they're like, hazing scandal. I'm like, that is an edgy joke, but that is not, like, that is what the audience was thinking. And it is a very savvy thing to lampshade that we are playing around with stuff that has much darker. God, they're like, yeah, there are other, there are moments along that line. I mean, the bit where Rose Byrne, like, gets to, like, for, because of a plot contrivance in the first one, she's trying to get Dave Franco and Zac Efron's girlfriend to hook up. And she just sort of, like, plies them with shots and then, like, makes out with each of them and then, like, pushes them together. I thought that was a funny, grim commentary on, like, how kind of agency list people can mm. become in these situations where they're like young people and they suddenly are like wasted and they just like they just are following these instincts i thought that was like a good dark comedy moment interesting i wish that that had become more commentary i think i think that's mm-hmm. the sort of joke that you could do you would just do it slightly differently like now do you, you know what i mean i think it's yeah. not quite i think it starts what feels like commentary and then just loses it a little bit and i was kind of disappointed by that it does it moves on to another it moves on to another joke as you, it's this balance i think of like they are not just just trying to take down frats but they are also not not trying to like excuse the yeah. sort of aspects of this yeah and the second one actually like kind of gets into sexism in a way that the first one doesn't mm-hmm. yeah I mean, you know it, it actually starts with the that Ike Barinholtz character like talking about like, man, raising girls is so much easier raising boys or, or I forget, I forget, I forget what he says, but they kind of like, they have these like dads talk mm-hmm. that actually introduces, I feel like sort of like, this is a movie where we're going to be talking about sexism and then like, that's actually like on the table. Yeah. And again, I think like does for what these movies are, which is not that smart, like fun, relatively smart, not that smart. I think it does mm-hmm. it like pretty well. Yeah. I also, I like the scene with Zach in the first one, following up from the weird, Rose Byrne's weird uh, machinations to hook Dave Franco up. They sort of like, mm-hmm. they heal, they heal their friendship with this uh, weird runner where they just try to take bros before hoes, but just do other things that Mario sort of Luigi rhyme. before Thelma and Louise. Yeah, and the one that they ended on, they like lose it and then they end on... John Madden before Jasmine from Aladdin, which also really made me laugh. But I like the scene later on where we get Teddy sort of in his lowest, very despondent moment. And you and he realize he's actually still really mad about the girlfriend thing. And Dave Frank is like, but we said all those things that rhymed. And he's like, why would that make it okay? Like, you, my girlfriend cheated on her on me with you. Like, those rhymes mean nothing. There are, like, I don't know, the... um. Like, the rules in which the characters exist will kind of shift at times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like That's and, true. And the movie takes that to its advantage. Like, you believe that this is a movie where they could heal the rift with just a joke. Mm-hmm. And then the movie's like, no, of course that's not how this works. That wouldn't work in real life. Yeah. And that's another pretty funny subversion. Yeah. I also like Lisa Kudrow as the ad- whatever advisor. Dean. Or the dean, dean, rather. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the chancellor who thinks in headlines. <laughs> Yes. Which I thought was another little savvy commentary on, I think, probably how a lot of colleges are thinking about their policies. Would this mm-hmm. be a good headline or will this be a bad headline? Indeed. Yeah, that was a that was a good little good little critique. Um, what did you think of the Batman scene? I feel like that was tailor-made oh. for you. 
Yeah, I was gonna shout that out. I really enjoyed. It. I really enjoyed it. because that's yeah. That'll be when I when I one day get to do my my roll calling series, just about not about one actor and the different roles they've played, but about different actors who have played Batman. We'll have to revisit this. But I thought it was extremely fun that we got a Christian Bale impression in this movie. Where is she? And Zach's pretty good at it. Yeah. Oh, it's very good. I I'll say this: this movie does have something that basically every comedy from the last. 15 years has started to like go really hard on, which is a bunch of pop culture references. Mm -hmm. Like those are so, so on the palette for comedy right now. And they even like, they work their way into, you know, the MCU, whenever like Tony Stark is being Tony Snark, he's like, you know, when he, when he calls that guy Squidward in Avengers Infinity War, that's a huge moment. Lebowski. Um, Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. There's all, there's all that, that stuff going on. Um, but this movie, I, this this franchise, I thought did a kind of a, I thought they did they handled that well. I feel like a lot of times all you got to do is just throw it in. The Rock saying like, "What are you looking at, One Direction?" Like that doesn't do anything for me in Baywatch. But um, the like weird specificity of uh, when they do a Robert De Niro party and Dave Franco is is <laughs> meet the parents Dave Franco and he says, "When you call the cops, you violate the circle of trust, Parker." Yeah, they are good at thinking up weird things that it feels like a frat might actually do. As evidenced mm-hmm. by your weird meta social social network island mm-hmm. party, mm-hmm. yes, the idea exactly. of having a Robert De Niro party where some of the attendees maybe don't quite know yes. <laughs> who they're playing yeah. or just take it a different way. Also, man, funny. I gotta say, every time the minions showed up in the second one, I was about was to say that too. To so what random is it with the minions, yeah, but very weird and funny. The right kind of random, just like having, they have all their like pledges dress up as minions and it becomes this runner where they'll usually be cut to for like one funny sight gag at a time. Like just one shot of like, like three freshman girls, like stacked three high in minions costumes, like trying to change a chandelier. And, and like sort falling. of doing the little minions, like nonsense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. also made me realize just how long like the minions has had a chokehold on our culture. Because that feels like a joke that could be coming out today. And this was a Absolutely. movie from 2016. Currently in the chokehold for sure. And that was that was a while ago. Yeah, the minions are our ascendant. The minions cinematic universe will soon be <laughs> it will it will overtake. The the Marvel will sundown and the minions will will become the sort of dominant force in Western culture. I also think the Batman joke in particular is a, mm-hmm. like, it is a funny pop culture reference, but it's a nice way to point out the generational divides that exist. Yes, it, it does something there with, with Seth Rogen continues to do, he's, he's doing like a Michael Keaton Batman Yeah, he's impression. like, Keaton is my Batman. Like, when I think of Batman, it's Michael Keaton. Batman sounds like this. Batman yeah. says, I'm Batman. Yeah. I mean, he literally starts oh, by saying, who's Batman to you? And he's like, Christian yeah. Bale. He's like, yeah, Batman to me is Michael Keaton. And yeah. yeah, I think a lot of this movie is, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to overpraise these movies as if they are comedic masterpieces. Right. But I think that it's savvy to look at the like what it's like to grow up and be in different phases of growing up and the realizations that there are younger people than you that are, you know, functioning adults and... <laughs> How yeah. overwhelming that can be. Yeah. And it, it, it really also felt, we haven't talked that, that much about this, this aspect, but right now the babies are starting to arrive in our community. I would say mm. I have some very, very close friends, uh, who live nearby and they have a baby who I've gotten to hang out with a couple of times. When I go on my be real right now, which I keep talking about, somehow be real <laughs> comes in. It's all babies. I scroll yeah. down. I'm like, Look, baby, yeah. baby, baby. And I would say that like the kind of look, at young parenting, yeah. which we get mostly in the first one, feels 
honest to me and earned and just like i mean a little bit of them there's a bit before the frat boys even arrive of them saying like we're gonna go out to the club with someone but they're like wait make sure we get the diaper bag make sure we like yeah. charge up we need to charge baby's the first monitor. rave sure get... baby's first baby... rave yes oh <laughs> baby's <laughs> first rave is really cute i like that bit that was that was the first time i sensed like they were actually gonna let rose Byrne like do yeah. something instead of because sometimes i feel like rose Byrne gets slotted in to be like there also is a beautiful woman here mm-hmm. she is you know, you never know if you're going to get Bridesmaids Rose Byrne or like, no, I can't think of any Annie. of those versions, but like, oh, sure. I've never seen Annie and I, it sounds like it's really, really bad, but that kind of, is that just like boring, nice Rose Byrne? Yeah. Troy. <laughs> oh, sure. That was, was a while ago. I was going Bolton, anyway. but you're going Brad Pitt? Nope, nope, nope. Brad Pitt. Troy, Troy is in uh, Helen <laughs> of. But yeah, um, I think that they, the way they sort of like look at this sort of age of parents mm-hmm. uh, felt felt legit to me. And quite an edgy joke about uh, breastfeeding in the first one. I feel like you don't oh, always yeah. get so many breastfeeding jokes. No, I kept, it's funny. I kind of thought like for a while, I feel like there was more like dicks and guy butts uh-huh. than, and I was like, whoa, maybe this will be maybe part of the thing. You know, I appreciate that. Like there's two like sex moments. One of them is Seth Rogen and one of them is James Franklin. Both times, like you get like the naked guy on top and the partially mm-hmm. clothed woman and I'm like, respect, because so often it's like, here's a guy from the chest up and here's a yeah. woman's tits like flopping around in the, you know. But then I didn't think we were going to get boobs in this movie. And then the first time you do, it's like, I'm gorged with milk yeah. and agony. They're all like veiny and like, yeah, that's a, that's a, I think a, a fun, again, subversive, like mm-hmm. kind of gross out moment. I also think this franchise is really helped by the fact that Rogan and Byrne have great chemistry. And I also think yeah. Rogan and Efron have great chemistry. Yes. Which is what is like watching Baywatch. Zach Efron and The Rock is a full on chemistry vacuum. Like no two people have ever been had worse on screen chemistry. I don't know. The Rock and Vanessa Kirby and Hobbs and Shaw was pretty much pretty, pretty similar. Maybe and they actually had to kiss. So Stop having The Rock try to have chemistry with people because I don't know if that's where his skill sets lie. Except Just for like Kevin Hart, maybe. He does have chemistry with Kevin Hart. They really like each other. Okay, they can only, that's the only buddy comedy duo that The Rock should have because him and Efron was not working. But Efron no. and Rogan, I think, are so yeah. sweet together. Totally. Yeah, they're that pairing. I mean, it's really funny because they are they are kind of like even just like culturally, like kind of an oil and water pairing. Like you just don't prior to this, you just don't see them making the same kind of movie. No. And so you you like the antagonism you can buy. But yeah, they really clearly like vibe on each other in scene together. You get funny stuff out of that. And I found this really sweet story where they talked about. I think it was Rogan was telling the story that they met sort of like at the height of, of Efron's high school musical fame. They were at the same sort of like event, like awards party event and that they were passing each other. Zach Efron stopped and says, okay, so this is Efron telling the story. He says, Hey, mm-hmm. Hey Seth, my name's Zach and I'm an actor. And I just wanted to tell you that I really love your work and thank you for everything you've done. <laughs> And then Rogan's like, are you serious? And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I really mean it. And he was, and then Rogan's like, oh, I really wanted to hate you. But that was like such a nice thing to do. But now I can't really hate you. There you go. Rogan started in that place that we talked about. Like all these, 
I was going to say 40-year-old men, but apparently <laughs> Seth Rogen was maybe like 25 when this happened. Who the fuck knows? Um, but these like these older men, like really, they just – he started from that place of being like, I want to despise this kid. But then yeah. found like, no, he's got that good heart. He, that's the Troy side of Zach, I think, is the person yeah. that goes up to Seth Rogen and is like, I really like you as an actor. And I just wanted to say that to you. I just thought that was so sweet. Um, Zoe talked about this in our high school musical episode, but Zach broke his hand during the mm-hmm. filming of the first neighbors during his little fight scene with Dave Franco and yeah. had to sort of like go into have emergency surgery for it. And then just came back to set and like film the rest of the movie. And Rogan speaks super highly of how much like, you know, they were prepared to have to halt production or rewrite the script or like do, do all this stuff. And Efron, he said that Efron just has this like crazy good work ethic and that mm-hmm. that was like not necessarily something he was expecting and that he really respected him for that. That was also kind of getting me into, again, you know me, I love to try to dig into these actors' personalities. Mm-hmm. And Zach is just such a fascinating. So in this in this Hollywood Reporter profile, there's like this sort of runner about his dad and his relationship with his dad. And they don't really get into it, but it sounds like in sort of Zach's like darker partying era, like maybe he was a little bit like estranged from his family. He talks about now he's traveling more and taking trips with his family and they're coming back into his life and how wonderful that is. And I think they're all in good terms now, but that was just kind of thrown in. But then he's talking about his, his parents and how his mom was really nurturing and that his, but that his dad had this real like push for success in mm. him. And even there was some quote where Zach's talking about how his dad said, if you're not going to play sports, you have to do something. I was like, whoa, that is a very particular style of parenting. Of like, mm-hmm. what is your thing that will be your road to success? You can't mm. just not want to play sports and then just like do nothing. Like, okay, if you're going to be acting, you have to, you know, that is your path. And Efron said, my dad's a rock. He's in every sense a man's man. He raised us, uh, Zach and his brother, with a firm hand and instilled in us, if you're going to do something, do it right. With him behind me, I could excel at anything. He was very driven, very motivated. He always had us doing something. You could say he was strict, but to this day, there's nobody that I go to more for advice. My dad, he's probably the best guy I know. Mm. Just a very particular brand of, I don't know, masculinity, tough love, like... The driven to succeed. And I think a lot of that gets filtered into this, like Zach throwing himself into work or like, oh, I hurt my hand, but I have to come back to work and keep doing these things. Mm-hmm. And and I think you kind of like, you do pick up on that undercurrent in Troy Bolton and in Teddy Sanders, right? But in two different ways. Mm-hmm. But they are like flip sides of the same coin and that they are like masculine leaders, like Troy is the leader of the Wildcats basketball team. Yeah. And Teddy is the leader. What's the uh, frat in it called? Delta Psi or something? Uh, yeah, Delta Psi Beta. Yeah. And then, but then they have this like unexpected softer side that they are not like totally embarrassed to show, but only show it in specific scenarios. It's just that Troy mm-hmm. is turned up. The volume's turned up on the like romantic lead. And Teddy, the volume's turned up on the sort of, like, psychotic villain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and he he just, like, he lives in the world of masculinity. And it's, mm-hmm. it's uh, like, that moment where he takes the pledge aside, it's it's kind of interesting because out in front of everyone, he's like, I'm going to haze the shit out of you. And he, like, drags him out of the room. And then, like, in that space, he's like, talk to me, man. Because you kind of get the sense that he knows if he was that gentle 
out in public, it would somehow like embarrass the pledge more, right? Like he's keeping up the facade of what they're supposed to be doing Mm -hmm. because he's like understanding the system in which he's existing in and that this is a moment better had privately than publicly. Yeah. But it's not a movie about like, oh, Teddy's going to reform frats and make them good, right? Like you don't get the sense that he's trying to end hazing. He will still fairly viciously haze them. Like the hazing depicted in the movie is pretty bad. It's just that he has a limit where he's like, but I don't want any of them to have an actual mental breakdown, so I will yeah. have a cap on it. And that's an interesting sort of character archetype. Yeah. This pathway of trying to look at the movies people make and the way it might reflect their psychology. This is what that whole class that I took in college where I wrote that Batman Begins paper oh, was all yeah. about. Interesting. Is that theory, psychobiography, you know, the idea of like, look at the people, people make art based on what ideas they are wrestling with. And what they're wrestling with can tell you about their their inner lives. So that's why I always feel like it's fine. I give us free free license to like speculate about the the emotional and psychological lives of these actors. So fully on board with your like Zach makes that subtext text in this article where he says, I'm constantly searching for characters that are about betterment of self and betterment of others. And I'm yeah. searching for those parts because those are the ones that make me happy. They're the ones that fulfill me personally. Now, I don't know if you would say that Teddy from Neighbors is a character about the betterment of self and the betterment of others. I don't know if any of these frat comedies like fit within that. So there could be an element of he wants to do those roles and is not, you know, he's getting cast in the fratty roles, but that that is a drive for him. I totally think these are about that. It's about he starts off in a place of defensive antagonism uh-huh. and he learns, I mean, he learns like to accept his role in Neighbors 1. Although True. the end of his arc, I think, where it's about like, I will actually be the one who goes to jail and takes the dive for everyone. And like, then he works at Hollister or American Eagle or whatever it is, whichever one where they're shirtless. Um, I, I don't know about that, but like the arc of Teddy overall is like, yeah, it's, it's all about just like learning to like live more comfortably with himself and with the Mm. people around him. So I would say it's totally fits in with that. I mean, in a very, in a very outlandish comedy way, but, uh, Baywatch is about him going from a bad boy Olympian to a dedicated lifeguard on the Baywatch team. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's totally about that same thing. Although it's handled by people with like zero ambition to make something intelligent. And then Dirty mm-hmm. Grandpa, I don't know what that was about. I think it's about yes. Robert De Niro getting his dick wet. God. Mike and Dave has an element, has definitely has a coming of age element. Does it? To it. Which I think was pretty nice. That was, it was sort yeah. of like for all, it's like a four, it's like the two guys and the two girls are all kind of fuck ups and they're all having to grow up together. And I thought that that mm-hmm. part of it was better than a lot of the over the top set pieces. Okay. Running through my notes. what do you think of the, um, airbag jokes i feel like that became the signature of this franchise (laughs) uh medium you know what i like and i liked in the beginning in the first one where he gets launched into the air by an airbag Mm -hmm. and then it's like that was one there's there's three left yeah it stressed me out that they put it in that house where there was a baby though i know they didn't put it in the crib but that chair i know i'm like you could kill the baby i don't know that broke the the rules of the world to me Uh uh-huh yeah i mean like the, the degree of like home invasion shit that goes on is a little like <laughs> world, but like they, there's one part where they go to the airport and neighbors too, and they come back and like the girls have like stolen and sold all of their stuff. And there's like nothing they can really do about that. 
there's also a moment where probably the stupidest part of the movie to me where I feel like that is following the sequence where based on like a misunderstanding where they they steal their phone and like yeah, send that was some a fake bit text. Of a... Seth Rogen flies to Sydney, Australia, which I'm like, what what are we doing here? But yeah, whatever. those were that was that was a low point, I would say, for the the comedy. The airbag is like meh. That I'd say another hallmark of these like 2010s comedy is like person takes like a horrible spill that actually would like break a real human being mm-hmm. but they're kind of like ow oh my back like yes. Zach Efron gets launched into this like concrete beam <laughs> yeah. I did like when he said you want to take a rip on the zip and then he falls from the zip line <laughs> through a table but yeah I don't know these kind of these kind of like stunts happen all the time and half the time they're done with CGI as is definitely the case with the airbag launch mm-hmm. so um yeah that, 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 I'm pretty lukewarm on the airbag bit I like in number two when Seth's office hears there's another prank war and immediately panics about there being airbags everywhere in the office. Yeah, that was a good true. example of a callback. Yeah. Um, okay, other things we should hit on the Zach dancing scene. Mm-hmm. Which he's I got enjoyed. a little dance off in the first one and he's got a big like, I will distract them with my oily body. Oh, I forgot about the dance off in the first one. Yeah, that was the moment where I was like, oh, we're doing Oops All Musicals and I thought this would be our first non-musical, but he does get a dance there off. There is in both of them, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Isn't there? I feel like somebody in the background is just like, he's always having a dance off. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. This is like, something that Teddy regularly again. does. Yes. It's very uh, funny. Let's count that as also psychobiography. Yeah. The awareness of him dancing will be enough to just distract an entire sorority and everyone but Seth being on board with that was quite funny. I I mm-hmm. think I think the dance scene is good and it's also kind of an, an example of the like the fundamental low ceiling of if we don't know how to end a joke, just like have a penis involved and that will be the end of the joke. I think oh, that's true. Can I forgot get about that. Old quickly. It does. It does. The funny part of the dance off to me is when he's like, wait, we forgot the baby oil. And they're like, who cares? <laughs> the baby oil is the most important part. And they're at a tailgate. So they then like grab like a hot like <laughs> roast and like like press it to him to get oil on him. He goes, Ooh, that's hot. Ooh, that's hot. And then like the four of them are all like rubbing his body. That's that's funny to me. That's funnier than than the the in to that scene is funnier than the out. Yeah. Efron is he is very funny. Like his he knows how to play Teddy's stress at not having baby oil, which you know, mm-hmm. in it inherently isn't necessarily that funny. It but it is his like overreaction to that that really sells it. He brings this like dramatic actor sensibility to a lot mm-hmm. of his That's like a good call punchlines where he does these like this like serious furrowed brow and these kind of like I think his comedy as much as the like actual content is very outlandish his deliveries do tend to be kind of understated yeah he's not like big face funny voice school of comedy he's much more like Oh, damn it. Oh, what the fuck? Yeah, that is a very good call. Like in Mike and Dave, it is Adam Devine is the big over the top one. And Mm -hmm. Efron is slightly functioning more as a straight man, but he is funnier than just I'm the straight man, you know? Yeah. But he's straddling that line in in an interesting and smart way. Yeah, he like actually delivers the lines that make me laugh the most. Mm Mm-hmm. In this movie, it's a tie. As I say, Rose Byrne has all these. When she says, like, thank you, Saya, that just <laughs> makes me break down. But but yeah, he really lands a bunch of jokes, and they are usually kind of like, they're played like he is the dramatic, serious, hot guy. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, mm-hmm. I mean, like, Ryan Gosling can do these kind of things as well. 
he makes me laugh as well. And it's like, it, it just comes from being like, he's got a very different, he's got a very different like delivery style, but, but there's something about like having a, a hot dramatic actor, like deliver extremely funny lines as yeah. a hot dramatic actor that really, that really plays. And it's, it is, I think Zac Efron's like bread and butter. Mm-hmm. I was also thinking of Channing Tatum as a mm. parallel of like hot guy who can also be funny, but I actually think Zach is, I think the quality you're describing of the slight straight man is something that Zach does better than Channing. Like Channing can be a little mm-hmm. broader, I think. Yeah. And maybe part of that, again, it's just reflecting like Channing Tatum, I think is, he just lives a more outlandish lifestyle. Mm. He's got that personality. Again, just going off of these GQ profiles, which like mm-hmm. we use a lot and like, who knows if they're trustworthy, but the Channing Tatum celebrity profile where the person is like the next thing i know we're taking tequila shots out in a bar and we're getting ready to go yeah. camp in the desert is like very vivid in my mind and it it results in him i think getting away with a little bit more like i don't know big stuff if you think of like 21 jump street as being mm-hmm. sort of a comparable type of comedy mm-hmm. to this he's not doing that same like underplayed thing yeah channing is more of an authentic bro he's more i think if if Zach is like sixty percent Troy and forty percent Chad, Channing might be like seventy percent Chad, thirty percent Troy. Yeah, it's a slightly different balance. Even though he also also kind of broke onto the scene with dancing, with a, with a dancing movie about yeah the, the 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 conflict between dancing and masculinity. Maybe there's more anxiety to Zach too. I always feel like there's a slight mm-hmm. undercurrent to him as a person who's like I'm not quite fully comfortable in this showman role, even if I am good at it. He's troubled. Yeah, he is Kevin from This Is Us. That was what I was getting from a lot of these profiles. You're saying he's he doesn't feel like he's the greatest showman. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm saying, Ned. Um, and it's a beautiful transition to next week and the the last two weeks of our podcast, which I really think is going to be about figuring out sort of like, what is, is Zac Efron in a third phase? Where is he at now? Like, I feel like he has had high, high school idol. Zach is a clear phase. Frat Zach is a clear phase. And then we're, we're still figuring out where he is now. I would point to 2019's The Beach Bum, the Harmony Corinne Matthew McConaughey mm-hmm. movie in which Zach has a beard that like I can't remember if they just de- I think they describe it this way in the movie but like looks like a panini <laughs> like it looks like this <laughs> okay I gotta google it search this right now it's like yeah google it right now it's like a stripe it's like a beard that is striped in a way that that looks like the <laughs> the it riches of like a, panini. a panini oh my gosh oh my gosh it does Wow, his look in this is crazy. It's really it good. I would pinpoint like the, the beach bum. It's like the pinnacle of frat Efron because it is taking it into like the art house realm mm. <laughs> in the in the Harmony Corinne way. So that was I, I wonder if that will function as kind of like a button for this period of Zach's career. Did you know that Zach has had three movies come out this year? Okay, let's see. So this year, so They've come out already? No, one is about to come out. Okay, Firestarter. That's one. Yep. I got pushed a lot of Instagram movie, for that. And I you was like, not that guy? of the first one. It was barely, I might have just been like a VOD release. It's called Gold. And he's like a oh. guy in a desert like a, yeah. guarding a chunk of gold or something. It's like just like him and one other person in like the same location, like the whole movie, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, like yeah, an intense. Yeah, coming back to me. And so he's got gold, he's got Firestarter, and then he's got coming up at the end of September, The Greatest Beer Run Ever, which is a mm-hmm. historical comedy drama. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so Zach's like still kicking around, still finding himself. But uh, next week, we are going back to our comfort zone, <laughs> which is... musicals (laughs) because you know we talked about at the start of this episode that zach said i'm not going to do a musical for a long time and i guess by 2017 it had been enough time he said it's been a long time now he said it's been enough time it's been nearly 10 years since uh my last musical and he co-starred in the greatest showman the absolute surprise smash hit that was inescapable for a good you know year or so i would say and really mm-hmm. was like Zach's, yeah, re-entry to the musical genre. And so I'm obviously very excited to look at you with that one. I think we have a a very fun guest lined up for that. Excellent. So that will be, oh, have you seen Greatest Showman? No, much like oh. Westworld, which you also said was inescapable, I escaped it. Um, and for a time, frankly, like about a year ago, I hit a moment where I was like, I want to see Greatest Showman. I was like, you know what? We've already got this podcast. Caroline loves Greatest Showman. <laughs> it's not concretely we'll it on in. the docket, but we'll get it in. And for it, you know, it didn't take us that long. No. And I am really excited to watch it in this context. I have seen what's it called? The number that Hugh Jackman and Zach Efron do in the bar. Uh-huh. Don't you want to get away from the street? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Ugh, I thought you were going to say rewrite the stars, this number with Zendaya, but if you haven't experienced that one, get Oh, I'm going to have ready. to experience that one in context. Oh my um, God, what a dream. But uh, yeah, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to that film. Me too. And we'll see how that fits into Zach's uh, desire to <laughs> show people going through good arcs on screen and... Does it also, from that one scene, mm-hmm. I have the sense that it includes an adult man being like, you're just a pretty boy who's so entitled. Yeah. So that seems to be. There is definitely, wow, I guess that is really, not to have a grand revelation as we're literally ending the podcast, but like a yeah. nice a guy, a nice, a guy who's entitled, but fundamentally nice coming to be a better guy is really sums up all three of the films we've covered so far. Yeah. And spoiler alert, does sum up The Greatest Showman as well. Cool. Zach is out here making white men less entitled, and we must appreciate him for that. That is that is God's work, Zach. So please also, keep it up. Also, kissing Dave Franco on the forehead at the end of the first movie that in a way that I found to be so endearing. Was that an ad lib, or am I thinking of something else? Did we talk about? I don't know. It felt like a very genuine. They're both being like, "You got to go." He's like, "You got to go, man. I'm going to take the fall." And they're like, "I love you. I love you. I love you." And he kisses him on the forehead, and I was like, "Oh, how sweet!" Only Zach could pull it off. I remember what I was thinking. I was thinking I was watching a Tom and Greg scene the other day and someone was like, do you know he had like, a forehead kiss there? Whoa. Get Zach on succession. Ooh, baby. Could he function Ooh, in that baby. world? Questionable. Totally. I mean, he'd be like, uh, just be like, oh, he's a mega billionaire. He'd make him like oh, Alexander Skarsgård, yeah. except they've already got Alexander Skarsgård. Make know. him, yeah. Make him somebody that Kendall is going to, to try to get cool points. <laughs> That's always like their their guest star formula is like uh it's some rich ass person who has money or a vote that they need and then someone has to suck up to them. I like this as a pitch. Maybe we will end our series by pitching um what Zach should do next in his career besides um, jungle shows. One is do a guest guest spot on Succession. <laughs> Roll calling is produced and recorded by us, Caroline Sita and Ned Baker. Our theme music was created by Patrick Buddy and our logo was designed by Nick Wanserski. You can follow us on Twitter. 
Or you can also follow us on Instagram. We are at rollcalling at both, or you can email us rollcalling at gmail.com. That's roll spelled R-O-L-E. We will be back in two weeks with The Greatest Showman. Until then. Wait, it's going to melt them. <laughs> pasta makes the wa- water. Pasta, makes, water makes the pasta It makes soft. them hard. It makes them hard, but it makes <laughs> pasta soft. <laughs>